Welcome to another episode of The Full Life. We're really happy that you're joining us today. Today's show is all about inspiration. So you want to stick around for this one. Welcome back to The Full Life. Thanks for joining us today. We are so happy you did. And we hope that this boosts your fullness of life a little bit every episode. Uh, Of course, we always start with our encouraging word. So today's will come from Hank. Hey, everyone. So in the book of Acts, really, we can call it um, Acts of the Holy Spirit, even though it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And there's so much in there to be inspired by in the book of Acts. Um, Jesus goes up to heaven to get it perfect for us and promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and people are not only hearing the gospel in their own language, but they're able to receive, be baptized and go back to their homes and help start the church, um, help birth the church, which you have this multicultural, uh, multinational entity that's birthed even from the beginning. But one of the things that's been really encouraging me in the last week actually comes in Acts chapter four. In this chapter, you know, Paul um, and well, Peter and James actually had just healed a man at the temple. And after they healed him, you know, he was praising and jumping up and down. And this beautiful story that reminds us when God does something, our job is to praise. But our job is also to, to share the gospel and share that story as well. So while they're doing this, you know, they go to jail. Um, the religious authorities do not like that at all. And after they go to jail, you know, God intercedes and they come back. But when they come back, they go to their people, they go to their church, and they pray. And so the encouraging word is, you know, when God does something, our work is to praise and worship. When God does something, our work is to tell people what God's done. And when God does something, our work is to pray. And I love how they prayed in Acts 4. Um, And how they prayed is this, and I think this is a good way for all of us to pray, no matter what we're going through. One, they give thanks to who God is. They say, God, you're the creator, you're the maker of everything. Two, they recounted what God has done, that sending Jesus and, and being thankful for all the things God has done for them and been faithful to them. Third, they said, God, this is the situation we're in, where we're actually going to trust you. And then fourth, they said, you know what, God, not only are we going to trust you, we're going to rely on you to, to, to predict and to not even predict, but to, to give us the future that you want for us, right? So remembering who God is, giving thanks for what God's done, trusting God, and then looking to God for the future. So hope that's an encouraging word to you. If you find yourself in a book of Acts, there's so much in there to be encouraged. But one of the ways is to let us know that dance, when God does something, tell others, and always remember to pray. Guess what? The encouraging words I don't think are going to stop there today, because as I said, this show is all about inspiration, inspirational stories, people, and ministries. And I'm so excited to talk about today's guest. Derek North is a singer, songwriter, and worship pastor of First Baptist Church of Davis in California. He and his wife live in that area with their four beautiful kids. Derek is also a stage four cancer survivor. And before he shares his story with us today, he originally shared it in a song, Take a Look. You are not alone. Keep fighting. I know it's as dark as the night. But I will stay with you through all of the Get me empty and hollow 
Mouth full of spit that I can't seem to swallow Throat like a sunburn, Lord, I can't tolerate Rate this, I hate this, I can't seem to escape this I, I remember when the doctor said stage four Gotta give it for it, hits another lymph node 35 radiation and then chemo We about to unload a salvo on your face Don't strap me to a table with a laser pointed at my head A two punch it through my stomach, only way I'm getting fed I'm only 37, I can't be the one with cancer broken in my bed Begging God for an answer, but you stand sure next to me Pray for me when I can't speak Sit with me in my misery and encourage me with your life to ban My mama told me just do the next thing, man That's the way I'm making it, that's the way I'm fighting it You are not alone Keep Please welcome to the show, Derek North. Hello, Derek. Thanks for joining us. And I had the privilege of talking with you before the show. Um, it really just moved my spirit, and I can't wait to share this with other people as well. But let's start right at the beginning. You know, how did you find the Lord? Tell, tell us about how you grew up and how you got into music. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Southern California. You know, my family weren't Christians growing up. And uh, my sister started going in high school, so she brought me when I was in junior high and just sort of gave my life freshman year of high school. And it was it was really quick right after that that I that I got my first guitar, worked all summer to buy it, you know, started learning my first really chunky chords and trying to play with youth group and trying to play worship tunes really quick. Um, and uh, just music has always sort of been a central part of my life. Uh, played saxophone for many years. Um, and I've just always been um, connected, connected to my faith through music. It was bad. It was real bad. <laughs> but it was, still, uh, it was a great place to uh, cut my teeth and, you know, playing 90s worship tunes back in the day. So good. Um, and I've, I've really just been, um, you know, doing worship music ever, really ever since. Why, why, why did you make that decision, Derek? What moved you to make that decision? Yeah. Um, well, you know. The Lord moves through summer camps. Camp ministry is a legitimate place where God shows up. And I had attended a summer camp um, uh, right at my freshman year, and it was really impactful. Um, and the Lord made himself very real to me, very clear to me uh, at that camp. And it was, you know, it, it, when you feel the Holy Spirit moving, right? Uh, like in the book of Acts, he pushes you and you just have to go. And it was a very obvious thing that I had to do was to, to follow the Lord from thereafter. 
How did your parents respond when you received the Lord? You know, um, it was a challenging season. My father is not a Christian. My mom uh, is. She came to faith after my sister and I. She had grown up in the church world, but never really locked into her faith as a child and walked away. So when my sister and I came to faith, it was honestly quite a challenge for her, I think, for a season. But it was through my sister and I that God reclaimed my mom's heart. And then she has been walking faithfully with the Lord for many years. She and I actually served in worship ministry together for a few years. Uh, when I was living in Monterey, she was playing on my worship teams. And so um, it, it, he actually restored very beautifully um, a musical relationship with my mom under the banner of faith, which is fantastic. That's awesome that your uh, mother got to play on your worship team. What did she play on the team? She played piano for me for many years. It was fantastic. That's fantastic. What an incredible thing, the way God redeemed that and that time with you guys. So you found the Lord, you got a guitar, you got some training, you started playing. Um, but tell us a little bit more about maybe about your early career as a musician. Yeah, so I started playing saxophone in fifth grade also. Ah, just okay. sort of played all the way through high school um, and, you know, then started dabbling in guitar. Graduated high school. Whoa, what do you do? Uh, I play sax. I want to be a musician. What do you do? I'm going to go be a jazz player. You know, got into college in the jazz circuit and theory training and piano training. But I was not, I'm not a jazz player. And so I kind of just dropped out, failed out. I washed out as a jazz player. It's not in my <laughs> blood. Um, and, uh, you know, the horn is in a closet somewhere collecting dust. Uh, and move forward with, you know, writing. Writing is what I love to do. I love to write songs. So I was moving in that direction. Started writing songs in high school. As soon as I got my guitar that first summer, started writing songs. I've been writing songs for 25 years. And uh, and then, yeah, right after, you know, right after college, got in my first, yeah, I guess we played in a couple of garage bands. We got in my first serious band, did several recordings, played around California, you know, yada, yada. Did the band thing for a while, got married. Uh, you know, thought I wanted to get back into recording arts. And so I got a degree in uh, recording music, but that's not what God had for me either. Um, and uh, of course, I've been playing in worship teams all of this time. Uh, and uh, the Lord sort of took a long time for me to find that path that God wanted for me, uh, which was ministry. And I actually had resisted him for many years. So I've been walking the, the worship ministry road for a while, and God had been planting people saying, hey, have you ever thought about going into ministry? Have you ever thought about getting into ministry? I mean, just every few years. And I'd always reject it saying, dude, you, I would always say, I know my heart, and you should never make someone like me a pastor. <laughs> but then eventually God came down pretty hard on me when the Holy Spirit said, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying you don't believe I, Jesus, am capable of making you who I want you to be. Right. You're changing me. And I was like, like what am I going to say to that? Like, okay, yeah, right. I'm going into ministry. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And, and now, I mean, I love it. You know, I love it. I wouldn't be doing anything else. And, and I, I thank God for that opportunity to, to be leading his church on a regular basis. But mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of the transition from my dr dream and, uh, you know, pursuit of, of doing uh, musical things specifically, you know, trying to become an artist or owning my own recording studio or whatever it is to God changing the path and, and getting me into full-time ministry. I always love it when we try to tell God our plans. We yeah. put them in a box and go, no, 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 that's not what I do. And, you know, God's sitting there going, who made you? Who who 
Who's got this thing under control? You know, I wanted to talk. Maybe you could share with us a little bit, though, because you in 2012, you did a worship album. Is that right? And then yep. you left the church. Your faith was shaken. I mean, you had a lot going on there. So I guess my question is, did you continue to record music while you were in ministry? Because obviously, I think you ended up heading that way into ministry, right? Did you keep doing worship or did you what What did you do? Yeah. So, um, uh uh, yeah, so in 2012, right around that time, um, probably a little bit or earlier than that, I was going to write a, I was, I was worship pastor at a church in Monterey and writing a big, like 15 song worship album. It's going to be like my, my first big thing, record it all myself, play it all myself, edit it all myself, put the whole thing out there. And then my church really went through a difficult time. Um, I would clarify and say, I didn't walk away from the church. The church went through a difficult time and, uh, and it just, wrecked me you know for a while i stayed within the church they were the the church kind of split um myself and and the youth pastor were basically like holding the church together we really felt like we were trying to be a tourniquet to the church and people were like bleeding out through our fingers and leaving and so that was it was really faith shaking though for sure and so the project got put on a back burner then we ended up changing churches having more children the project kept putting putting getting put on the back burner and then it started to change in the perception of my heart from I have this project that I, I'm working on to I have this project that I'm kind of failing at. And then I can't move on to something else because I failed at this over mm -hmm. here. You can't do something new because you failed at what was old. And then it changed even more into being more like I am failing. I have yeah. failed because I didn't do what I had set out to do. So it really became a stone uh, that blocked creativity in my heart. Um, and it was about 2016. Uh, God gave me some fresh songs that, uh, were way out there. I put out a Christian hip hop album and it was, uh, called fresh water because it was like the water that ate away the stone blocking my creativity and broke it free. And then fresh water, fresh creativity started coming out and I released a single, I released fresh water EP. I was able to finish that worship project salvage about six songs and release it as, a, as an album called lay a soul upon my heart. And then I've been releasing uh, music steadily since then. I've done a, a, a double worship album that came out in this last uh, 2020 and 2021, uh, a myriad of singles keep fighting which you heard. Um, I did a score for an independent movie. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fairly consistent uh, since 2016. It sounds like you overcame a lot and especially that feeling of failure or the creativity block or I think a lot of people can relate to, you know, being yeah. stuck. Yeah. And so it's fun to hear about like all the fruit that's come out of that. Um, but I want to know if you can maybe share a little bit about, you know, what happened after that initial 2016 block was lifted um, about that more, even more challenging situation that you walked into and that you, you faced. Yeah. 2016 put out that album put out Lay Upon, Soul Upon My Heart right after that. 2017, I started developing this um, swelling in my neck right here. Doctors mm -hmm. doing some digging, found a giant tumor uh, in the back part of my nose, in, your, in the nasal pharynx, which is that, that space sort of above your throat, behind your nose. Big wow. tumor. Uh, turned out to be um, cancerous. Turned out to be um, stage four nasal pharyngeal cancer. Um, and it had already spread to these two lymph nodes and, and, you know, your lymphatic system is connected through the body. Um, and once it starts jumping, the lymph node 
uh, track, then you become terminal very quickly. So we caught it, I mean, just weeks uh, before being terminal. Um, and then the tumor that was discovered, uh, it's behind it's behind this bone plate, right? You got this incredible bone structure to your face that God has created, just buried in there. Behind all of this was that tumor. So it was inoperable. Most cancer patients, you go in, the MO is you go in, you cut out 90, 95 plus percent of the tumor, and then you use radiation and chemotherapy to treat the margins, to treat whatever remaining cells are still in there. That was not an option in my case. So I went through what my oncologist called some of the most aggressive um, cancer treatments that just sort of exist out there because they had to burn uh, and poison the tumor to death uh, through chemo and through radiation. And so I received uh, in total nine chemotherapy treatments, very aggressive chemotherapy. I did uh, 35 radiation treatments um, to my face right here um, over the course um, of uh, eight weeks, seven, eight weeks. And the whole treatment was, you know, six, seven months, and it just completely obliterated my body. I mean, it, it, some people, you know, can, can go through, you know, chemo and it's really hard, but you can keep going. You can go to work, even some things. I mean, I was, I was bedridden. I was, I was a, a lump on the log. I didn't move for months at a time. Um, and you know, at the, the height of the symptoms, uh, just to run you through a quick list. I mean, I, I lost my hearing completely because my ears had filled up with fluid as the tumor broke apart. Um, I had completely lost my sense of taste, like the nerve endings stopped working in my tongue. The, uh, the inner lining of my mouth uh, and bottom lip had peeled off completely. The sides of my tongue uh, split open. The top of my tongue lacerated and cracked as well. The back of my throat was sunburned like you would get a sunburn you know, uh, but it was inside my throat. Uh, the sides and back of my neck um, like peeled off uh, just so it was just open skin all in this area. Um, I wasn't uh, speaking, eating. I wasn't swallowing my own saliva, which had turned kind of this thick sludgy stuff. Um, I had a tube in my stomach that I was eating through. Um, and through all of this, because of the chemotherapy, I mean, just incredible nausea through all of that was, was really difficult. Chemo port where they would do the chemotherapy, uh, because couldn't do it through the arm it's too aggressive. It would have collapsed all of the, uh, the, the circulatory system in your arm. It would actually, it would kill the limb. Uh, and, uh, and so they have to put it here and the little catheter went over my collarbone into here, just dropped it into like my, you know, the central highway of the body, just get it everywhere really fast. Um, and, uh, and then of course all the effects of chemotherapy, permanent hearing damage, um, and, uh, just wrecked, wrecked for months and months, uh, in months. And it was pure, pure unending agony for, for oh, so long time. How was it? I mean, I can't even imagine that. Um, but how was it emotionally? And then how was it spiritually going through? Yeah. Well, I would say um, emotionally, it was incredibly difficult, um, specifically on my wife and my family. But for me, emotionally, the, the chemo knocked me out so bad. It was so aggressive that I hit a treatment and I just sort of went away for two to three weeks at a time. You know, I didn't feel a lot of things, you know, 
I mean, as much as I mean, I did a little bit, but not as much as you would think, because it really just blasted my emotional center. So when I hit recovery, there was a mountain of like uh, emotions that I had to backlog through and process. Right. The trauma had come later on because I couldn't deal with it then. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a, somewhat aware, but but very minimally. I mean, I was terrified, but I was in constant agony, uh, constant pain. Um, and, um, part of the chemo treatment, uh, was these six hour infusions, uh, once a month. But then, uh, for three of them, I received the small little pump that they kind of put in a fanny pack. It would leave like plugged into my chest and I'd go home with just a bottle of poisonous chemo. Uh, and it would just slowly pump for a week at a time. And so I would just live with constant, uh, medicine going in. For those weeks, I would be awake for six to seven days. I just couldn't sleep. And so I was beginning to really lose uh, all sense of my mind and everything and begin to fear and panic. And I would end up in the hospital at the end of those. The second one, in the hours, the wee hours of the night, I would, um, I would, I mean, I couldn't talk, but I was screaming. As, as loud as I could, I was screaming in my soul for Jesus to change anything because it had been months of medicine and all of this stuff, but there was not one iota of relief. Um, and, you know, the sermons that I was hearing couldn't help me. The worship music that I was playing and leading couldn't help me. All the trappings of my church, all the social media Christianity, those arms were woefully short to reach down to the pit where I was to give me anything. And I was screaming at Jesus saying, where are you? If you say you're with me to the end of the age, what is going on and where are you? I can't find you. I am burning alive and I can't even make sense of where you are. I completely feel abandoned. And in the second season of the of those uh, week-long agonizing uh, nights of insomnia, screaming at Jesus in my soul. He met me in a fresh way. And he said, I am here with you in the flames. And it was different. It was different than when a friend came to visit me. You know, I, amazing, incredible friends and family in church would come and sit with me on the couch, uh, maybe walk if I could walk that day, because there were plenty of days that I couldn't. But it wasn't the same. See, they would sit there, but they don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what I'm going through. They can't physically experience the pain or the trauma or the fear or the emptiness. But the sense that Jesus gave to me, he said, I am I am in it with you. What you are experiencing, I am experiencing. The flames that are burning you are burning me. You know, when Jesus says, like, I'm your high priest who knows your weaknesses and can sympathize with you. He was joining me and experiencing the pain and the fear and the trauma and the burning and the agony. And it made sense that only Jesus has arms the length needed to meet you in the deepest, agonizing, most pitiful pit ever. So when I made it to my third of those week-long treatments, I was more afraid than I ever have been in my life. I mean, I, I pleaded for Jesus to not let it happen, you know, but I remember like 
kind of like banging my head on the bathroom wall, like so scared, you know, you're just sort of rocking and hitting my head against the wall, just praying like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I remember thinking, but Jesus, I know where you are now. Wow. And I can go there because I know where you are. And if Jesus, if you meet me there, I'll go there. So I got these four kids. My littlest was three years old. Like, I got to finish this. Like, we can't, we can't lose. So if Jesus, if you're going to be there, I'll go there again. Uh, and I did. And it was, it was, it's just bad. It was bad. But he was there with me in the flames. And it was significant, to say the least. It's a powerful image. And I think, uh, you know, on, on any level of trauma, I think people can relate to that. And, and the idea that Jesus is experiencing that with you, I just think is, a, is beautiful. Because I think you're right. He's the one that can relate ultimately in that way that does give you some comfort cold comfort when you're going through it physically, but you get Jesus at least in you and, and feeling that a bit. Uh, but, you know, of course we talk about physical aspects of chemo all the time and how wrecked you are physically, but that doesn't, you know, even if you've overcome that, that's not necessarily the end of recovery, so to speak. There's a lot, as you started to mention, there's this whole amount of trauma that you go through going through these treatments. Yeah, I, I, I suffered fairly significant PTSD when I was done with it all. And, you know, I kind of went in some ways, you know, out of the, uh, uh, you know, I would say I'm not on fire anymore, but when I got in recovery, I was living just in a pile of burning coals. And that was just my life was just burning coals for another year or more. I mean, my brain was scrambled eggs. Uh, I, I had very serious trauma triggers to the point where I would be, I mean, I, I would I would literally just lay over, shake and cry uncontrollably. Wow. Um, food related traumas, you know, uh, because of the eating thing. Um, you know, uh, I, I found a pair of shoes that I wore in a chemo treatment and I thought we had thrown them away and I found them and I just fell over crying. My daughter came in and she said, oh, these. And she said, can I just throw these away for you, daddy? And I just sort of shook my head like, please. And she ran as fast as her little nine-year-old legs could carry her out the door, threw him in the trash can, shut that door and came back and gave me a hug. You know, it was real trauma that, that affected me on a daily basis. Um, you know, and it took a lot of work, intense counseling, intense therapy, um, you know, to work through those things. And the door to anxiety and depression, once it's open, remains at least ajar forever. And so, I mean, even just a few nights ago, you know, like the like my arm, my left arm shakes now. Never did, but like you know, it shakes when there's something going on, you know. And I couldn't sleep, and my wife had to get up and help me and ground and come back so I could sleep. Like trauma is still there, um, you know. Retraining the brain is what has to happen. You know, your brain gets injured. That's what trauma is. Your brain gets injured and doesn't know how to handle it. And so these experiences get stashed away in your brain without a timestamp. So your brain does not know that this event was in the past. It's so big. I'm yeah. just getting a file cabinet and close it. I don't know what that is. I don't want to talk about it. I want to deal with it. So your brain doesn't know if it's current 
or in the past or whatever. So for instance, I would be cooking scrambled eggs or cooking eggs in the morning, fried eggs. I ate that a lot, uh, you know, while I was still eating in treatment because it was soft and I could eat it. But the smell of eggs, trauma trigger, shaking, crying. But I love eggs. I don't want to not have eggs. I want eggs and a cup of coffee in the morning. I had to literally stand in front of my stove, cook some eggs and say, I am not in danger. I'm just making eggs. I am not in danger. I'm just making eggs. And then I would throw the eggs away because I was sick to my stomach. I was sweating. Like I'm freaking out. Do it again. I'm not in danger. I'm just making eggs. Next morning, I'm not in danger. I'm just making eggs. Some, then I would be able to sit down at the table. Okay, I'm not going to eat it, but it's, it's at the table. And then eventually I could actually start eating the eggs. And now my brain goes, oh, you're making eggs? Tasty breakfast. But the work of repairing and healing your mind is very different than healing your the rest of your body. Yeah. Uh, and it's so often overlooked and how long that takes. Um, and we often say, oh, you're in recovery. Cool. You're good. So many people, you know, we're all in ministry and we hear these stories all the time and you have to put your life, your, your challenges in perspective, right? I, I'm going to say this, I'm not promoting alcohol, but we call them champagne problems, you know, and, and we, we want to complain about these champagne problems until you yeah. hear somebody who's had to take a faith walk that you've just went down. And it's so easy to talk to people about just walk in faith, walk in faith, trust God until you're having to walk in faith and trust God. And then you realize man, this is a really hard walk. <laughs> you know, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. I always say that the waiting period, you know, the holding pattern is always the hardest part. I mean, you went through so much and I, I would love to hear a little bit more about your faith walk. Cause to me, that right there is what's ministering because there's a gamut of emotions. I'm sure some days you had really high faith and God was there and you felt him and you could taste him. Everything you just said, there was other days. I'm sure you were like, where are you? I mean, even Jesus himself said, you know, where are you, God? Why hast thou forsaken me? You know, Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. But what we don't realize, it's a long walk out of the valley back to the top of the mountain. So I wish I could say I had a more cognizant faith challenge but there was just a lot of like dead space in my mind, in my emotion. Um, but as I was sort of coming back online, um, you know, spiritually and emotionally, mentally, I, you know, there was a lot of people saying these things. Oh, I can't wait to see what God does in your life. Oh, this amazing thing that God has done. Oh, you know, these great things. And you're, and I was like, well, I, I don't like, there's a, lot, there's a lot of pressure to that. Well, now I have to have great things that I do because God did this thing and I'm alive. And it was like, I'm just trying to eat eggs in the morning. Like I right. can't yeah. even handle your expectations for right. my faith. Wow. What I realized was I had changed as a person. Okay. I didn't know how, but I had changed. Jesus had it. He's the same. I was different, but I could not go back to the same exact life of faith that I had before because I was not the same person. Mm -hmm. It was almost like if you can, uh, you know, sort of imagine the stories that you've seen or, or maybe you know of, of a couple who had been married for a long time. They sort of separated, fell apart, but then they sort of recorded each other. They had to learn to fall in love again, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then they 
recommitted and they reconnected and and saved their marriage. It, it was sort of along that same lines of I had to figure out what it meant to be in the relationship with Jesus again. Okay. And and he showed himself dramatically, like I had said, it wasn't like he was not there. Um, but I was so significantly different that it, I mean, it took a long time. And I'm actively doing, as soon as I got better, as soon as I could, I was back to work. You need to get, you know, back to work, lead worship, let's go, church. Uh, but through all of that, I was rediscovering my relationship with Jesus because I was different. And it took a long time. Did worship take on a whole different meaning for you, though, now at this time when you when you step to do worship? Is it at, like at a whole different place than what it was before? Well, I wouldn't say that it was at a whole different place, um, but there is uh, there are specific songs or specific lyrics that ring differently. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times worship songs are written um, wide enough in its concept that everyone can insert himself or herself into it and say, I can connect to God in my experiences through this lyric, you know, but lyrics of suffering or lyrics of hard times. Now they become very different and very real to me. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, sometimes you, I, there's a song, um, that says, uh, when I was broken, you were my healer, you know, um, and, and these things of healing, they come, they come very fresh to me now and they do become very different and very much more, um, intimate because I can put my finger you know, on when that happened. With everything you've gone through, with the songs taking on new meanings, um, how did you find the creative juices this time? You know, how did you not only start writing songs, but really finding a way to tell your story? Because I think that's the important thing um, is that, you know, God calls all of us to tell our stories, but then when you go through all that trauma, it's hard to find even your voice, right? Um, so yeah, how did you get to a level of like, I need to tell this story or this is how I'm going to tell the story or even why I need to tell this story? Sure. I was definitely afraid um, that I would never sing, play, write music again. I mean, my, my, I mean, I was just, like I said, so physically obliterated. Um, and it was the Easter after my treatment. I had seen a social media post uh, by a good friend of mine and it, inspired me i grabbed my guitar first time six eight months barely play kind of strumming some chords croaking out a melody started writing things down on a, on a scratch piece of paper and then i realized what i was doing i was writing a song and then i went to that awareness hit me i just started sobbing on my bed because the lord not only heals your body in your mind, but he heals your heart and your soul and your creative passions or your desires, you know, and it was, this was the Lord restoring what the locust had eaten away. It was giving back to Job what he took away. And I was just so incredibly thankful um, to have that again. I, I had connected uh, with a good friend of mine um, named Bubba Norton, who co-wrote um, Keep Fighting With Me. Um, and he... <sighs> he was raised by his aunt and uncle who both passed away from cancer. And we had met together to um, just talk about life and cancer and what things are and how hard it is. And we started talking on this theme but of, of, of yes, cancer warriors, but who are the cancer warriors? It's not just the, the patient 
the person who had the diagnosis, but the warriors are also the family and the right. friends and the churches who support and sometimes physically keep alive those who are diagnosed with cancer. And we thought, wouldn't it be awesome to tell a story, tell a song written from both the patient and the caregiver's point of view. So that's what the song Keep Fighting was all about. And I remember when he pitched this idea, I was like, bro, I'm fresh out of treatment. Like I, I can't, I, I, I don't know if I can write about this yet. I drove home from his house. I sat down on my piano as soon as I walked in the door and I wrote the chorus. And it was just like, God was like, yep, downloading, here it is, chorus. And the other thing was, when I was sick, uh, in the middle of my treatment, I had I had been wandering in the house in the middle of the night, aimlessly. I looked at myself in the mirror. I didn't recognize myself. Mm -hmm. I pulled out my phone and I wrote down what are now the lyrics of the verse that I do verse two i wrote those while i was treatment while i was in treatment and so i tucked that away just never thought anything of it started writing the song and i grabbed those lyrics and thought and i put it into the song and they fit perfectly i mean it just boop, like a glove it was it was just like god gave it then and then god gave this now they go together and then my friend bubba he wrote his whole his whole verse from the struggles of the caregivers, the the guilt that they feel, the exhaustion that they feel, the the you know the underappreciated uh, life that they live. Um, and then we had another singer come and sing the chorus, keep fighting, you know, keep going. And it's like the middle ground. You have this person struggling, you have this person struggling, but then you have this third voice of hope that says both sides. Keep going, keep fighting. Why do I feel like I'm the one who's dying? I really want to be strong for you. It's hard when I'm always crying. At first it was all fire, determined eye of the tiger. But now I'm tore down and you're wore down and tired. Sometimes I can't tell if I'm even appreciated. Yeah, yeah, I know this ain't the time for me to state it. I'm just saying you're always sleeping. On top of that, you can hardly walk. And the chemo's got you sicker, man. You can hardly even talk. But I know you appreciate me. I can feel it when I hug you. And that's part of my motivation, man. I love you. I love you. I keep pushing because you keep fighting. And God put all the strength I'll ever need right here beside me. And when I feel like giving up, I look up. Look up. And pray to my healing God and have this situation shook up. We'll never give up hope. You're the strongest person I know. God is the not you hope when you reach the end of your well, I'm so glad you brought up the caregiver situation. In addition to obviously the person that's you know suffering and that's ill, I had a situation recently with my husband that many of the family here you know know. Um, it was definitely um, a champagne problem, as Carolyn mentioned, <laughs> compared to what you have walked through, which has been so difficult and so just even hearing about this we i can't even imagine you know again what you've gone through but you know when you have a, sp a spouse or someone you're the caregiver for they can't do anything they can't you know you're all of a sudden your mom and your dad and your chauffeur and you're the cook and you're the cleaner and you're you're everything and you know a lot of times people's attention and care goes to the person that's that's sick but so often the caregiver you know, goes to the side and they're so exhausted and they need that message of keep going. And like my experience again was so small, but it really gave me um, a heart 
for caregivers that deal with this, you know, months on end, years that they're dealing with, or even, you know, like, you know, your year to two year situation, um, how your wife handled everything she had to do. And I'm so appreciative that you shared that side of the story, not just with us today, but in your music. And I know I, even that thing you mentioned about the pressure of people are like, oh, God's going to do something great with this. I have to step back as a pastor and think, how many times have I said that? To people, you know, we just believe that if somebody's going through something, God's going to use it for great. But, you know, we sometimes don't know what to say. And that's maybe not the right thing. And yet I do know how much your story is going to impact mm -hmm. so right. many people. So I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing it um, and, and for putting it in your music. I know you have more great music and I would love for you to share some more with with us. If, if you'd share something maybe from, I believe, a new album or a new song you've written. This is Near the Cross. Why am I so quick to fly from the hand that bled to give me life? Why do I still try and hide? From the one that sees the dark at light. Yeah, yeah. You gave your life to draw me near. So I will wear right here. Near the cross. You welcome me by name near the cross. You cover all my shame near the cross. You comfort me in pain, so I will be right here near the cross.
that's why we will right here near the cross near the cross Derek, tell us what's next. Are you writing more stuff? What are you working on? Uh, working on a new single right now called Dawn in the Distance. I'm recording a saxophone solo. Not me playing it because I failed out. I got a <laughs> player coming in, horn player coming in, laying down some tracks. We got a music video coming out for that at the end of the summer. Then I have a Christmas album recorded in the can, sitting on my desktop, just waiting to get mixed. Because every you guys, every worship leader, you know, we feel like it's on our bucket list to get a Christmas album out there. <laughs> so I'm going to check that off my bucket list um, coming out, you know, for the next holiday season. Well, we'll have to have you back for our big Christmas finale like we do over on this show. So we look forward to that album. Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer. Honestly, I pray a lot in the shower because <laughs> it's like <laughs> where I could get privacy. <laughs> um, but for me personally, I have found that like the... I have to pray out loud um, because my brain cannot stay focused if I don't send the prayer through my mouth. And it's not a big elaborate thing. I just have to like talk out loud. It's almost like I'm you know, talking to myself, but I know I'm talking in the spirit with the Lord. But otherwise, you know, my brain is just all over the place and I'm thinking about my to-do list or my job or my ministry or the blah, 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 or just whatever song is in my head. And I have to like sit there and talk out loud to the Holy Spirit. Um, but I've also been learning to just be quiet also. And that's even more hard to sit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to sit here and quiet myself for 30 seconds, for one minute, for two minutes, and just talk with me. And, and then I just, you know, just keep forcing distracting thoughts out of my head and just sit for a little while and then try to verbally strike up a conversation to keep my my head in the game look we told you this day was going to be about inspiration and i don't think we disappointed there were so many little moments in in derek's story that could be just enough right there but he had so much to give us today i'm so grateful for your time i'm so grateful for your ministry i'm grateful for your music derek um and just keep uh you allowing god to use you uh, because that is how we get to the fullness of life as we try to do every day here. So we'll see you next time on The Full Life. <laughs>